Mean O'Lion Media presents the Safe Conversations with Kevin Waits podcast. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Kevin Waits again, and welcome to a new episode of Safe Conversations with Kevin Waits. I am so excited uh, to have our guest. But before I even go there, I just want to say to the listening audience, thank you. Uh, we've been rocking and rolling and, and banging out the episodes and, and because of you, people are listening all over the country. Uh, they're listening to countries like Jamaica, Canada, India, Argentina, and Mexico because of you. So please thank you. Uh, keep listening, keep sharing, give me feedback. Let me know what I can do better. Let me know what you like. Let me know what you don't like because here on Safe Conversations, we unpack our bags and we talk about stuff serious stuff. Some things that make us uncomfortable, some things that make us happy, that make us sad, that make us cry. But we do it all with hopes that we can all somehow move forward together. So this is a special guest. This is this is just going to be an outstanding show. I'm just excited. I'm so excited. I'm having problems introducing her. But I will say uh, to this young lady that when I met her a few years ago, I knew something was special about her. I didn't even know her name. We were sitting in the meeting. I don't know if she remembers. We were sitting in a meeting. Uh, I think it was uh, being run by the Georgetown County School District. But I knew when I met her that it was something remarkable about Miss Carolyn Ellis. And I am so happy that you agreed to be here. So welcome. Thank you, Kevin. This is an enormous gift to me. I've loved the conversations that you've had. It's an important thing that you're doing, Kevin. And to be invited to be a part of it is important to me. It's an honor. And I hope that I live up to the standards that you've established in this in this safe space to have really authentic conversations. And um, I appreciate it very much. Great. So happy that you're here. And I just know we're going to have a we're going to have a good time. So, Miss Ellis, if you can, can you can you tell our listening audience a little bit about yourself, your your family, your background, your education? Yes. Thank you. I um, I was born in Oklahoma. Not many people know that um, I, we've my husband and I, Cliff Ellis, who is the men's basketball coach at Coastal Carolina. Uh, have lived in the Southeast all of our married lives. And and really all of Cliff was born in the Panhandle of Florida. And I moved from Oklahoma to the Panhandle of Florida and grew up there too. So we have a similar background, but I love the fact that I have that also, that added part of who I am. Uh, my family was a Mennonite family in um, in Oklahoma. My dad was a wheat farmer who had come to, to the Panhandle of Florida during World War II, met my mother, took her to Oklahoma, and then moved back when I was about five, I think, um, to, to the Panhandle. So I, I treasure that Mennonite background it is, in, I think, influenced who I am because of the religion, that, that, that vibrant spiritual way of being a Mennonite. And then, and then it, it, it continued in the, in, the, in the church that I lived in and uh, grew up in in the Panhandle of Florida. It was the First Baptist Church, but there was also that vibrancy 
to my faith growth in that area. So I, I, I like that. Grew up, went to uh, high school there, then went to college at a junior college in, in Mariana, and then to got a, got got some scholarship money and ended up getting um, you know my degree in English education. I had to decide whether I was going to teach math or English, and I just chose English. I love I love poetry. I love communication, and that became a part of who I am. And then Cliff and I married, and I thought I was, and I'd continue to be an English teacher um, for most of the area, most of the time that we were married. Um, and um, and education has been really important to me and to the work that I think um, I want to do. And we have three children and five grandchildren and that's about who I am is okay. That's awesome. A, a wire grass girl who grew up to follow a basketball coach around. I hear that. I like the way you put that. <laughs> so it's women's history month and, and I wanted to highlight you and spotlight you, Ms. Ellis, because I believe what they say is true. And what they say is behind every good man is a great woman. I'm going to say it again. Behind every good man is a great woman. And I see you, you know what I'm saying, as you you do the work. And we'll get into talk about doing the work. But I watch you and how uh, elegant you are and how graceful you are and how you go about your business and how you, you make everyone around you feel like they have value without saying it. You know what I'm saying? Your actions, the way you carry yourself. And I appreciate you for for that. But again, behind every good man is a great woman. Your husband is a Hall of Fame basketball coach, Mr. Ellis, Cliff Ellis. But I want the listening audience on this episode today to know what you're passionate about and how you, you feed that passion. So if you can, I know I've said a lot, just focus in on what your passion is and how you feed that passion. If you ever see me at a basketball game, you might think that I am passionate about cheering for a basketball team and yelling at the refs. I get a lot of <laughs>, laughs at my passionate um, attacks. Of I mean, I think I, I can call a game better than anybody that is else that is on the floor. Hmm. And I do. I love basketball. I love the game. I love the the interest that can be created by athletics. I think it is a great way to find commonality among people who don't agree on anything else. We can cheer for a team when we can't agree on anything else. Mm -hmm. So I do have that passion. But education, I said before, I'm an educator. And that, I think, is more important than anything else we do as a culture, as a society, making sure that we become as educated as we can be, that we learn as much as we can about every topic that needs, that impacts our lives, and providing for children the best education that we can as a society. It is not okay what our 
South Carolina Constitution says that a minimally adequate education is what we owe our children. That is not good enough. Hmm. We need to, for our own sake, educate every child in the best way that we can. And my experience has been ninth grade to junior college. That is where I have taught English, you know, how to communicate, how to read, how to interpret, how to understand the poetry, how to find meaning in, in the ambiguities of poetry. But even more important than that, I became convinced about 30 years ago that in order for, for my classroom to be filled with students who will succeed, they need to have educational opportunities from the time that they're born, that that time frame from zero to five is the time that a child's brain, our human brains, develop to 90% of their capacity. 90% of a brain is developed before a child goes to kindergarten. We cannot wait until kindergarten to begin delivering this excellent education. We need to continue it, carry through PhD, but we... What my passion, my real passion, Kevin, is that the zero to five is we we must provide families and child care providers the opportunities and the resources that they need in order to deliver the best education that we can to our, our children, because then they become the citizens that we want them to be. They become the contributors to our economy that we want them to be. That that early time, I, I mean, Kevin, you may want to just make me stop talking because no, talk. I, I could fill up a mm-hmm. a uh, an hour talking about the needs to pay childcare providers what they need to be paid. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I benefit from having athletics make the money that it does. But that is that's upside down. Mm-hmm. We need to value educators more than we value coaches. And mm. that's we've got a long way to go to get there yeah. to make that an equitable kind of investment. Mm-hmm. So do you feel like some kids get left behind? Absolutely. To, in twenty twenty three. Yes. In 2023, it is uh, very much uh, the quality of education depends on your zip code, where where you were born, what the resources are that are just native to that spot, Mm -hmm. determine the quality of education that is offered to to our children. And that then and, and if we continue in that way, we're missing a lot of potential. We're missing uh, growing the scientists, growing the doctors, growing Mm -hmm. the nurses, growing the the, uh, other teachers, growing the people, the farmers that will feed us, the name any profession that we need, the economists. Uh, We there's there is there is a field to be grown 
mm-hmm. if we will just make use of all of the the seeds that we can plant. And so, so it, it really, Kevin, it does make a difference where yeah. uh, a child is born. But how how can what? And I know, and this is hypothetical, right? Because if you had this answer, you would be on MSNBC or Fox or C. You know, what I'm saying you wouldn't be talking to Kevin Waits if you had this answer. But how do we? What needs to happen to 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 pivot and shift to the point where every kid doesn't matter your zip code or your area code? What what needs to happen for every kid to have a quality? Not just a quality, but but an outstanding chance to win because that's what it is, right? When you don't have it, you kind of start out in the hole. The gun goes off in the race, and everyone else has a head start. So, what, in your opinion, Miss Ellis, what needs to happen to to shift things? Well, Kevin, you are right. I, I would be the queen of the world if I could, <laughs> um, if I had that answer. I mean, I think that there are many uh, things that are happening. I'm I'm basically a Pollyanna, and I see positive things happening, and I'm encouraged by that. Our state is recognizing, for one thing, that our workforce depends not not only on the technical colleges that we have that can train the immediate need and, and respond to the immediate need for IT people, for welders, for and our colleges are are supported in that developing the immediate need for workforce. But agencies, I mean uh, industries like Boeing mm-hmm. are recognizing that if we don't start at zero to support that that age we're not going to have the workforce that we need. So when it becomes an economic issue, Mm -hmm. then it serves ourselves. And so we, it's not just um, people who love children, who love the culture that we want to have. It is people who want to make a lot of money. And, you know, unfortunately that is what is the biggest driving force for better or worse um, in, in, in capitalism is right. we've, we, when it becomes that um, necessary uh, investment, mm-hmm. as much of an investment as roads, as much as an investment in the, the water and sewer and, you know, all of that it bridges the infrastructure investments that we're beginning to make when education Becomes rec- is recognized as the infrastructure that we really need for success, then, then it's more likely to happen. And you know there is money that is currently being directed to education right. in, because of that, because of hmm. that recognition. Right. How do you think we we stand up to? I wouldn't say uh, rival countries, but other other powerful countries around the world in terms of education in that zero to five uh, year old space that you talk about. How do you think we stand up? We're behind the game. Mm. We are behind Mm. the game. And um, there are many. We don't invest the money that other uh, other more successful um, countries do. I don't have those statistics in front of me, but yeah. there are, I mean, it is 
provable that we don't invest the money in early child care and education and we don't get the return we want. Right. Our children don't are not as successful, you know, long term in yeah. um, third grade reading, seventh grade, eighth grade math, high school mm-hmm. graduation, success in universities. We we don't have the success that we want. If we begin investing, we will. That's <laughs> I right. mean, we have to. We just look at the evidence. And yeah, it's that simple, but it's that complicated for some reason. Right. Yeah. So shifting gears a little bit, Miss Ellis, how has it been being a mother figure to so many young men from different backgrounds through the basketball programs that Coach Ellis has coached at um, Clemson, University of Auburn, and now Coastal Carolina? How has it been being that mother figure and filling in the gap or filling in any voids or just stepping in and doing what needs to be done whenever you had to? It's just been the richest experience I could have hoped for. Um, the the opportunities. I re- this is even before the Division One uh, experience. At, at mm-hmm. first, at South Alabama, and then Clemson, and then Auburn, and now Coastal Carolina. Okay. Um, I was helping a player uh, in a class, uh, going over something. And just the gift that I could give to him of believing in him, encouraging him, you know, wanting and getting him to look me in the eyes, mm-hmm. not be intimidated by the situation. And and he became eventually a coach. He became a teacher. And uh, what a gift that is. And, uh, and it just, you know, there are, there continue to be. I mean, I could maybe I need to write that book. Um, the the players that I've been enriched by, mm. that I've seen. I mean, Cliff has coached a player and then a player's son. So to see that wow. that um, that gift of of transition from an excellent excellent young man who then raised another excellent excellent young man, and he wanted to send his son to a place it ended up being at Auburn that his son came to play for us. And, and it's not just something that I can do for them, but what they do for me and Mm -hmm. their, their, their experiences and their understandings of life and their, with how they've enriched my life has just been yeah. the best part of it. I, I, you know, when uh, when I was going to be a parent, uh, I was trying to figure out what I would do, <laughs> read up on it, and um, read Dr. Spock, and I read all of the details. But, but eventually he came down to saying the relationship that you have with your child is more important hmm. than how often you feed him or her or, you know, whether or not you potty train them by the time that they're three or, you know, more important than those specific details, as important as they are, is your relationship. If you love and respect that human being that you've been gifted with, then you will not make a mistake. And I think that that holds up in coaching and and relating to these players is loving and respecting and being loved and respected back is just a a wonderful experience. Yeah. 
just to hear you talk about um, encouraging, you know what I'm saying, a young man, it made me think about, it's something, you know, of course I'm older now. And so you, right, you get older and you get wiser. Is that how it goes? You get older, yes. you get wiser. <laughs> so I when I was a kid, oh man, I was all over the place. I was all over the place and football was my thing. I was very athletic and I had an aunt. And have you ever had someone in your family, an aunt, that from the time you were born, she was older? She was she was like, you know, she was my aunt Ada was her name. And she would always encourage me, you know, and it's something to be said about when when you see something, you see the potential in someone before they see it. We can't as adults, as parents, as leaders, we can't sit on our hands, you know, saying or, or mute it or not talk about it. We have to speak it because a lot of times some people just need that nudge and I needed that nudge. And she would tell me, Kevin, in her deep downtown Charleston Gullah Geechee voice, she couldn't even pronounce my name. She would say cabin, right? Like log cabin. She would say cabin. You're going to be somebody one day. She would say it over and over and over and over. And guess what? Eventually, I believed her. I believed her. You know, um, you know, the first 10 years of my life started out kind of rough. I was born in Harlem. I don't know if you noticed, but I was born in Harlem, New York, and lived here till I was 10. Um, you know, I had asthma. We lived on the 14th floor in the projects. And on top of that, you know, I, I used to tell my kids, I wore leg braces before Forrest Gump did. I was born with crooked legs. So the highlight of my day, me and my older brother would go back, walk back and forth to school. The highlight was whether or not the elevator was working. And if the elevator wasn't working, up the stairwell, 14 flights we went. And I can remember some days having an asthma attack, having to stop, hit the inhaler, or my legs would hurt. And my older brother would, would say, he was so patient, hey man, come on, keep moving. Keep moving. Don't stop. Keep moving. I could hear him saying it. You know what I mean? And he encouraged me and, and, and just, you know, so at one point, and I share that with you because at one point in my life, I didn't think my life was going to amount to anything. You know, I thought I was going to wear leg braces the rest of my life. I was going to have asthma the rest of my life. I wouldn't be able to do things that other kids did. And my parents realized the city was really, really rough. And uh, so they saved up money and we moved to Charleston, South Carolina. And my life changed, right? It wasn't all, it changed for the better, but it was some things that I wasn't exposed to in New York that I became exposed to. It was like a trade-off, right? So when I lived in New York, I went to Catholic school with everybody, any nationality you can think of. We were all there. We Everybody got along. We didn't know any better. I moved to Charleston and I realized that this little yucky, ugly thing called racism existed. But on the flip side, the climate caused my asthma to clear up. I wore the leg braces until my legs weren't going to get any straighter than they already were. So I was able to get rid of those and I finally started to feel like a normal kid. And then during that transition, here comes Aunt Ada, cabin, you're going to be somebody one day. So I, I started playing sports. Uh, I actually wrote a book called Hit Them Before They Hit You. and uh, And it was about a conversation that I had with my dad the first day I go to football practice. Um, we're walking to the football field. I begged my parents to play. 
I begged him. Uh, and my mom was like, nope, absolutely not. Because she thought I was fragile. I had asthma. I had the crooked legs. She was like, nope. So I'm begging. So finally, my dad says, Francis, that was my, that's my mom's name. Just give the boy a chance. Right. So here's my chance. I'm so I'm so man, I'm like on fire. He gets off from work. He comes home to pick me up. I'm standing in the driveway, 95 degrees. I got every pad on. We got like a 45 minute ride to the field, but I was ready. So we get there, we walk into the field. We get out of the car. First, he gets out. He starts walking. I'm so scared and nervous. I don't get out. He realizes I'm not there. So he comes back and he says, hey, come on. And I'm like, no, I don't want to. He says, son, come on. Let's go. Let's go do this. So we're walking. And imagine walking beside somebody. I'm looking at my dad and I want him to say something to me. Right. Give me some instructions. I've never played before. And he won't look at me. He will not look at me. I keep looking. He will not look at me. I know he felt me looking at him, but he wouldn't look. So we get to the edge of the field and he finally looks at me and he says, just hit them before they hit you. That's what he said. Now, the backstory is, is when my dad uh, was a kid, he, he only went up to the sixth grade. They had a fire at his grandmother's house where he lived and he quit school to go to work. So he never went to prom. He never played organized sports. He didn't know the quarterback from the running. Of course, I didn't know this at the time, but he didn't know what to say to me. So when we got to the edge of the field again, he says all he knew what to say was, Kevin, hit him before they hit you. And the funny thing about what he said to me went with me that day, but still is with me today because it really just went about football. You know what I'm saying? I went out that year, this little kid who wore leg braces, this little kid who had asthma, and I was the MVP on that football team my first year playing. <laughs> and it was all because of what my dad told me. But again, it just wasn't about football. Uh, but I went off on that tangent just now because just listening to you talking about how powerful encouragement is, you know what I'm saying? It's sometimes like, leaving the key off the cage, you know what I'm saying? Or unlocking the cage and just letting, letting it all come out and letting it all hang out. So Absolutely. I appreciate you for being a strong force and encouraging young man, because that is, that is a powerful thing. So thank you for that. Thank oh, you yes. for that. Absolutely. It's an important part of coaching. It's an important part of teaching. It's a, an important part of parenting. It's a, an important part of being an aunt and mm. influence in the, the the people around you it, it's it's seeing in in this other person the potential as you I think you used that term seeing the potential and instead of seeing what's wrong mm. with somebody and 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 Cliff has uh, talked about that as a principle of coaching if all you do is notice what bad move a player makes on the court, then that gets imprinted. If you notice what good moves a player makes on the court and imprint that, then that good move is more likely to be made. The same is true of of every choice. If you see the good choices, if you see the good work that is in the student, in your child, and continue to recreate it in the child's mind, Mm. In the chi- in the student's mind, in the 
player's mind, mm. then it becomes a part of what they believe about themselves. And so, what I mean, what your aunt did for you was you're going to be something. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. she saw it, and then you saw it. Mm-hmm. And and that is, that's that makes me cry, Kevin. That yeah. is wonderful that, yeah. that you had that experience. I mean, if we can all do that for each other, then then we're all yeah. better. Yeah. I love what you said about recreating that experience in a child's mind. That's that's yes. awesome. I never heard it put that way, but that's a, that's awesome. I appreciate that. Yeah. yeah. So, Ms. Ellis, I yeah. admire the fact that you really care about people in the community. I see it. You don't say it, but I see it. But in your opinion... With everything going on today, how do you how do we bring people together? That's the first part. And how do we keep people together? Because, you know, just like I do, and you alluded to it earlier, things, there's certain things that bring people together. Right. Athletics, uh, crisis, the arts, you know, music, love, you know, certain things that bring people together. But it's like when we sober up from the moment, we go back to our respective corners. You know what I'm saying? So how do we bring people together and how do we make it stick? How do we keep people together? You ask hard questions, Kevin. (laughs) Uh, um, I I mean, I do think about this, too, that Mm -hmm. it seems that when a crisis happens, we we are forced to recognize that we are dependent on each other. Um, And the trick is for us to realize that we are always dependent on each other. That uh, I loved, I don't know when I heard this word from uh, Desmond Tutu, Ubuntu, the Zulu concept that I am because you are. Mm. Or another way of translating it is I am because we are. Mm. If, If we lived with that idea in our head all of the time and not just when a flood comes mm-hmm. or not just when a hurricane is on the way or when we, when we automatically, uh, it's almost like we go to that helping recognizing we're in this together attitude yeah. at those stressful times. But if we lived in that always, mm. And I think, you know, that's what Jesus was trying to tell us. Right. right. You know, loving God is worked out Mm -hmm. in loving each other. And that's the way that we will be happiest and and that we will be most successful. And I think it's a part of what I was talking about that early childcare education is becoming more important because it's not only important for those children. It's not only important for those families. It's important for our economy and for our mm-hmm. culture. If yeah. we, if we really want to be totally successful, we will recognize that how our children thrive and succeed is, um, is important to how we all thrive and mm-hmm. succeed that, that, Ubuntu really is true that um, what I am, of course, I mean, we are all egocentric. Mm-hmm. We, are, we are first of all self-conscious, but even 
But as we mature, I think it is a matter of maturity and growing, then we recognize that we are not just I am. We are, we are, you know, I am, I exist as you exist too, mm-hmm. as we mm-hmm. exist together. And I mean, I haven't answered your question about how we no, no, to be no. true. I, I just think that we, that is a real realization that we need to come to not just in crisis, mm-hmm. but in everyday life. Yeah. So two things, no, you answered the question, but two things as you were talking, uh, came to mind. Number one, you know, should we, that that uh, age group that you talked about, zero to five, should we be doing a better job as parents, as teachers, as administrators, you know, where, where we're working on giving the kids the basics, right? We're giving them the foundation towards reading, towards arithmetic, we're throwing a lot at them, but do should we be equally throwing at them the concept of Ubuntu, right? Should we be, you know, not not to get because we know today, you know, there's no, you know, religion in schools. I get that, unless it's a private school, Catholic, you know, I get that. But just the concept that hey, we're all neighbors. You know, and, and I don't know that that's happening. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I know a lot's being thrown at the kids, but I don't know. And it's a combination because that has to start at home as well. But I don't know. It just seems like some effort could be put in the area of those concepts. Right. Um, I think, I mean, what you're doing right here on this, uh, broad, on this podcast is safe conversations. That concept needs to start as soon as people can talk mm-hmm. uh, about how to speak with authenticity, mm-hmm. transparency, respect for the other person, respect yes. for yourself. I mean, as soon as the, that um, as that child is born, mm-hmm. uh, there is the opportunity. I mean, that child is immediately looking around, learning from the yeah. moment she is born. Mm-hmm. She is investigating and when she has a loving face looking at her and cooing with her and mm-hmm. recognizing her and loving her uh, she picks that up and responds in that way so I, I think I mean I think that that is exactly where we need to be mm-hmm. doing and parents parents sometimes I think don't realize that we don't realize yeah. that this is not just a lump of flesh and bone and that cries and poops and you know it yeah. is a human being that is more to it that is yeah. vibrant, vibrant, yeah. and so having parent parental training is is I mean they're, they're our children's first teachers and they Big need deal. to know that and yeah. and and know uh, what are good ways of dealing with their children and, and I don't know that we have. Uh, many or strong parenting programs because you're right. You know what I'm saying? I remember a long years ago, I, I know uh, a lady named Miss Martha Smith used to teach a parenting program from the Georgetown County School District. And she taught young parents from A to Z. 
You know what I'm saying? This is what you do. This is how you say it. This is how you talk to your kids. This is how you, you know, discipline them. I mean, parenting programs. And I think now more than any other time, the world is so busy. You know what I'm saying? The kids have, oh my gosh, you know, uh, social media and, and other things, you know, other stressors and distractions. I think we got to have stronger parenting programs. Yeah, I think absolutely that is. I've had a friend of mine who is a, a parenting guru say mm. that we need to, if we, you know, as much as we want the basics, reading, writing, and arithmetic, we ought to add parenting. Amen. That I mean, just as a basic class, um, mm. you know, and in some economics, you know, we need to tell we want our children to know how to. Do you balance a checkbook anymore? Uh, I don't even know if that. <laughs> yeah, but but, but again, um, how to budget and uh, our kids need to be taught so, financial literacy. You know, and again, literacy. Uh, yeah. Speaking of what you talked about, you know, I, I'll be the first to tell you, and I'm not ashamed to say, when I was growing up, my parents didn't teach me financial literacy. They they were doing the best they can to make ends meet. <laughs> you know. One parent worked day shift, the other one worked graveyard. It was, you know what I'm saying? And right. so as an adult, I felt like I was behind, you know, and, it, and then, so those, those, those things are important. Those things and are parenting important. Parenting is as important as, yeah. as anything. Um, yeah. Teaching uh, a, a person who is going to be a parent, how to be a parent. Mm-hmm. And even if they're, even if they don't end up being a parent, they will end up having some influence. In Good skills. Yeah. So, Coach Carolyn, I'm going to call you Coach Carolyn. All right. Right. <laughs> um, have you ever, and I know this is off the script, but I just got to ask, have you ever drawn up any plays for Coach Ellis? <laughs> no. I just had to ask. No? Never? I, I appreciate that you're even thinking that was a possibility. <laughs> but, I mean, I understand plays mm-hmm. and uh and I understand the rules of the game, right. but um, but I've never, um, et, you know, gotten out the diagram and put the gotcha. O's and the L's gotcha. and the X's out and say, move it well, this way. And, uh, okay. Well, just say, you know, in the next couple of weeks or next year or so, you do, because I planted that seed. Blame it on me. When, <laughs> he, right. when he looks, you know, when he looks and says, what are you, t- Carolyn? Kevin waits. Blame it on, blame it on me. So... On a more serious note, how have you managed over the years to help coach Ellis bounce back after a tough loss or a tough season and really just help him balance things out and put things into perspective? That is the biggest challenge, I think, for a coach's wife is to there. there is nothing that I can say or do that will make up for a, a miserable loss. I mean, it's just, you know, it's it's on the scoreboard. It's over. There's not anything that can be done. Uh, so it is a challenge to find any positive or happiness in that. Mm. Uh, but, I, but I think that our relationship is what is valuable in, in um, helping Cliff to know what is most important, to know mm. that how he handles the players after a a game, after a loss, how he handles the coaches after a loss is as important as anything he does as a coach. And 
talking through that and and then distracting. I think there you know there are other things to think about and to enjoy. Mm-hmm. And Cliff loves to cook. He's okay. a, uh, he's he's the best cook in our household. Wow. <laughs> and so if he comes home for a, a game and has time, if it's an afternoon game and has time, he will he will love um, preparing a good shrimp and sweet potato uh, dish or um, he, he really has has developed that skill. And so having that distraction mm-hmm. is really helpful. And also the distraction, he loves music. We both love um, music that we grew up listening to, which is beach music. And, yeah, you know, so we're in the perfect place to uh, Myrtle Beach is just That's right. the capital of good music and mm-hmm. uh, having those distractions and then keeping everything in perspective is is a philosophical position to be. I mean, it doesn't just work after losses, but it works after wins. I mean, mm-hmm. the, okay. the thing that is uh, most important is is not a basketball game. I mean, it it is the livelihood. It is the momentary. Um, excitement and and you you love it when you win and you hate it when you lose all i mean that is inevitable but the 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 big picture is more than that and 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 just having that basis of that philosophical spiritual foundation um that everything that we've talked about you know love respect um is is important. That's awesome. I recently watched a video, right? You know, I'm trying to, and I, and I know you, you know, we work around each other and I know you, but you know, I always want to know a little bit more. So, so I Googled you and I'm just watching and I'm reading. And, and so I saw a video of you recently and you were talking about an organization called Freedom Readers. And I'm telling you, I could see the sparkle in your, I mean, I was like, wow, she is like on fire. You know what I'm saying? From the inside out. Um, So as you talk about the organization, so what gives you so much joy about the program? Thank you for asking that. Um, First thing that drew me to Freedom Readers is Tracy Bailey. Tracy Bailey is one of the best people I have ever met. She she is um, the same. I mean, she's younger than my older daughter, so I'm, I am old enough to be her mother. But she is my mentor. She impressed me from the moment I met her because she is the kind of person who sees a challenge, sees a problem, sees an issue, and she does not say, "I wish somebody would do something about that." I wish somebody would come up with a a way to address this, whatever it is. She is the kind of person who sees an issue, sees a challenge, like children are not reading on grade level in our schools. This is a way that we can impact that awful statistic, that awful situation. She was also driving back and forth to 
uh, Columbia to get her PhD and had time to think about it. And that di- it didn't just stay a thought. She actualized it into a program that has got, grown from 12 years ago, just a thought in her brain, to a, a program that is in four counties now. I mean, it was in some other places in the United States, but that's hard to manage right now. But the, we have uh, Freedom Readers has programs in four counties that, and I love the principle of it too, is that reading is not just a skill, not just a, a mechanical skill. It is an attitude towards reading. There's a spark that is applied to this skill that turns it into a love, a, a way of being better than you were without it. And that is the design of Freedom Readers, is to give the experience of reading that is transformative, that, that makes a person want to read and learn more about themselves and the world. And, you know, again, if we, if we make that work well enough, we can change the world, change, at least change the grand strand. Um, and, uh, and then those children become leaders. They become not, I mean, the, the program is designed to, for reading skills and, and reading enjoyment, but also that we give them a speaking experience, the public speaking, so that they gain that confidence of who they are and of their voice. And so I love it because of Tracy Bailey, and I love it because of what it is and what it does. Another thing that it does, Kevin, it builds relationships between human beings. Uh, our tutors, the tutors and freedom readers, are matched one-on-one with our scholars. And so there is, there is that relationship. There is that meeting of people who don't know each other before, don't know um, about each other and about each other's lives. And just knowing people better is what can change that that also that concept of how we bring people together how how ubuntu works i mean that that works when you have people talking to each other and listening to each other and and that that is the principle that is, that is applied in the in the in the sites where where you know old people are talking or older people we have tutors that are in college up to retired teachers uh, but, you know, people different from each other are talking to each other and listening to each other and growing together. So uh, uh, thank you for asking about Freedom Readers. Uh, it, is a, it is an organization that we need to support. Yeah. Thank you, Miss Ellis, so much for uh, sharing uh, about your passion uh, as it relates to Freedom Readers. I know Tracy, she's also been on the podcast. Great right. person. And uh and I love the program as well. So I got to throw you a curveball. And the curveball is, is if you had a magic wand, Miss Ellis, or Coach Carolyn, or the first lady of college basketball, uh, you had a magic wand and you could fix one of society's ailments, what would you use that magic wand for? 
just I one. I think it relates to everything that uh, we've talked about, uh, that, you know, that the divisiveness mm. that has infected our our culture now and our world. Yes. I mean, and it, it has been a problem not just now, but for a long time. Yeah. That um, we don't, I, I think Ubuntu is the, is the magic potion or okay. the magic wand that if we could recognize the truth of it. And I will say this, that um, in our Sunday school class, we're reading a book that explains the quantum physics of our world to a certain degree. And and the quantum mechanics, uh, I mean, the, the, the universe is connected more than we know. Mm. And just recognizing that connection is true. Mm. It is. It is not something that we um, should just hope to happen. It is the way we, the way the world and the universe works. What we need to figure out is how to make that true and how to take advantage of it. I am because you are. Because you are. I yeah. am. We are because we each are. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I think if I think that's the magic. That's awesome. Just make that happen. Yeah. Well, I thank you so much uh, for spending some time with me this evening. Would you come back next time? Absolutely. Cool. Uh, so I do want to ask you a question because I want to I want to uh, uh, take the opportunity to bless the listening audience. They've been so good to me. I told you the countries they're listening in all across the country. And I want to ask you your favorite flower. What's your favorite flower? I love Shasta daisies. Shasta daisies. Okay, so y'all heard it here first. The first lady of college basketball love Shasta Daisies. Did I say it right? Shasta Daisies. Shasta Daisies. And so as you listen to the podcast, the very first person that reaches out to me through my website or through social media or my email address, which is contact at K-E-L-V-I-N-W-A-I-T-E-S dot com. I'm going to send you, I don't care where you are, I'm going to send you, I'm going to mail you a $25 gift card, okay? You heard it first right here, Miss Carolyn's first, I mean, her favorite uh, flower. But Miss Carolyn, it has been amazing. I've really enjoyed the conversation again. It's Women's History Month. I couldn't think of a better person to highlight because behind every good man is a great woman. And I really appreciate your time. Uh, And I appreciate everyone listening. You've listened to a new episode of a hot episode of Safe Conversations with Kevin Waits. And we'll see you next time. Peace. The Safe Conversations with Kevin Waits podcast is hosted and produced by Kevin Waits. Executive producer, Ken Johnson. Find the Safe Conversations with Kevin Waits podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Odyssey, Amazon Music, or where you get your podcast. Find Kevin Waits on Facebook at Kevin Waits and join the Safe Conversations group. Follow the Mino Line Media Podcast Network on IG at Mino Line Media. Get the Mino Line Media app in the App Store or Google Play. The Safe Conversations with Kevin Waits podcast is a Mean Old Line Media production.